0: The next morning and you awake to the sound of jovial music in the streets outside the desert Rose. You leave the tavern behind to follow a crowd of people traveling up the streets to the high city. You notice as you approach that the large gold statues of Carsus that were there by the redemption pit has, have, they've been torn down and they've they're just fallen they've just fallen on the city streets, laying now in just chunks along the sides of the pit. Uh, Workers are breaking apart huge pieces of, of the gold and carrying them off to be smelted down and reformed into their previous statues and currency. In the high city courtyard, colorful tents have been pitched up. People are dancing in the streets, children running to and fro. Ribbons fly through the air, confetti rains down from tall storied apartments. In just one day, it's like you've entered into a brand new city. Suddenly, the doors to the palace swing open, and the music dies down just a bit. From inside, Simon, Patch, and Aaron carry an an ornate wooden pallet adorned with colorful blankets and lush pillows. Laying on this pallet is the body of Brie. They lower her down to an altar that sits before a grand stage that's been set up in the courtyard. The music dies down, but continues to play a soft melody. People of the courtyard, all at once, bow, and then collectively move to two red tents on either side of the stage. They take turns grabbing flowers from tables underneath the tents, placing them amongst the pallet until they overflow across the stage. You recognize these flowers as you hear Aaron speak over the crowd. Namabria. In a desert full of thorns, she is our rose. The crowd lets out an immense cheer and the jovial music resumes. Several members of the crowd spot you and push you to the stage as the rest of the congregation notices you are among them. And you hear them cry out, speech, 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 as they push you on top of the stage.
1: All right, all right, all right. (laughs) I'm Tug the strongest and most valiant hero of all the people on the stage. First and foremost, Bri, we miss you <laughs> up to the one and only up top. Whoever that, I guess for me, it's Dartholomew. Tholomew <laughs> Rest strong, with uh, Darth Tholomew. Uh, second, you're welcome for your city back. We haven't gotten to explore too much. We might check it out. We might not. I don't know. Third, Was that third, two, three, third? Um, We're not opposed to gold or whatever. I'm not. um, Fourth, you're welcome. Peace, stay sweet. If either of you guys got anything to say, you can. We love you. Good night. All right, I'm done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Tug, Tug passes off the fake mic to Durf.
2: Uh, Durf just sweats uncomfortably because he was not prepared to speak publicly he just starts sweating and is e- e- extremely visibly um, shiny and greasy and then he tremblingly hands the microphone to Carl <laughs> Tug, Tug
1: grabs the mic back the fake mag and taps it ha 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 is this thing on? Carl, you got something? If not, somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. I ate the sharpest tool in the shed. Anytime, Carl. Crickets. She was looking kind of dumb. This is with great. I'm just going to let you know. finger in her thumb in the shape of an L. Honor How much borehead. of this do you know? Well, he's not coming in there. You hear from the back of this, back of the crowd. Boo, you suck! Fuck you! We got you. Your village back, your city. It's not even a village. It's a city. This is shit. You guys really let me drown out there. Okay.
0: Um, And so as in the middle of this song that you're singing, uh, you hear this loud boom and war drums sound from behind the same doors Brie came from. As you see, three guards emerge and they hold Carsis, and he's beaten and he he's bloodied to a pulp. He's got chains that are around his ankles and his hands and they kick his legs and he's forced down on his knees to the right of Brie. And he takes one down, one look down to the left at her face and begins to weep. And the crowd lets out an immense cheer and this cheer has turned into angry cries for justice And the music stops completely. And as this happens, Aaron steps in front of the three of you and in his hands in both his hands palm up. He's holding a long polished black sword with the engraving of a rose branch circling the blade. And he says to you collectively,
2: he says, finish this. Durf does not believe in capital
3: punishment. That's shocking. Tug Mugbar does. Yeah. People of Korbai, there has been enough death, enough bloodshed. Yes, Karsis is responsible for much, but Bree's purpose, her goal, was to save her brother. And we've done that. He is no longer under the control of the amulet. Killing him, we might as well be killing Bree ourselves. Let him go. Let him leave the city peacefully, never to return, knowing that it is his fault that his sister is dead.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah, I was going to make you roll a persuasion check, but that was pretty good. Um, so I think the, the crowd understands um, the heroism that you showed. So they are willing to listen to you and they quiet down as you say this. Um, and they are convinced that that um, you're right. What you said was right. Bree, Bree wanted this. She said in the arena that she wanted to save her brother. So Aaron kind of angrily releases him from his chains and uh, lets you keep this blade, Carl, and he says, Very well. He's your responsibility now. And... Karsis kind of collapses in front of you,
3: essentially. So after Aaron drops him in front of me, um, how far are we from like the city gates?
0: You're in the high city, so you're a few districts away.
3: I'm going to pick up Karsis and throw him over my shoulder and start walking towards the city gate. Okay,
0: sweet. Yeah, uh, Durf and Tug follow, and so does a massive crowd uh they follow you down the streets of Korbai through the high city through midtown through the low city to the front um city gates where some of the guards there open the open the gate doors
3: uh at the exit to the city i will uh drop karsis and to him i will say you are hereby exiled from corby the death of your sister is on your hands leave this place Never return.
0: And he looks back at you with these eyes of... He's, he's saddened by this, but he's actually grateful that you spared his life. Um, and he, he nods to you um, as he turns from the city and walks through the desert. Sick. Let's go party. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so you're still in Corby uh, after all this goes down. And um, I guess is there... Oh, I need to I need to retcon something real quick. You did find in the um, in the arena when you went down to the the vaults where um, you guys saw all that gold and those items and whatnot. You did find your pouch of um, of uh, pocket portals. So I meant to say that in the last episode. I didn't. My bad. There you go. There's a little retcon for you. It happens in D&D. Um, OK, so you're you're in Corby. Would you guys like to do
3: anything else before moving forward, choosing what you want to do? I need, I want to go to the Temple of Meshachal for reflection. I'm gonna go find
2: my friend Uh, something name.
0: Oh, yeah, let's give him a name. Jamal, you want to give him a name?
2: His name is Philonius.
0: Phil. Okay, (laughs) Philonius. Perfect. Phil for short. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Um, all right. Let's start with uh, Carl. So you you head through the city um, back to the temple district, and at this point, after Carcass has been gone, um, the the chain that surrounded the temple district has been cut, and people are slowly re-entering, cleaning up some of the shattered glass that's on the ground, try, trying to just tidy up the area um, in preparation for the the new statues that are going to come in. Um, you know. Uh, removing all the boards from the windows and the doors, just trying to trying to bring that part of the district back
3: into its former glory. I'm going to find my way to the temple of Meshackal and enter, um, and approach the broken statue of Meshackal that I approached previously, um, and kneel down.
0: Okay. Yeah, great. So yeah, you kneel down in front of the statue. Um, And, uh, yeah, what what would you like to say to Meshachal in this temple?
3: Meshachal, through your grace and illumination, I realize I have made a grave error. In my haste to grow up and become a man, I made an oath that does not represent the man that I am becoming. That oath brings to mind the actions of Karsis while under the influence of the amulet. The thought alone turns my stomach. It is with this in mind that I renounce my previous oath. I wish to be a beacon of light for the people, to be an example of honor, kindness, and courage. Before entering the pit, I named myself Lightbringer. I did not understand my own words. My purpose is not to mete out justice and decide people's fate through violence. My purpose is to bring enlightenment, love, and compassion to the people, to the world. With this in mind, I, Carl Withike, bind myself to the ancients through oath. Meshackle, guide my heart, my head, my feet, and my hand. Hold me in your embrace, and let me bask in your light. So, with renouncing my oath of treachery and swearing a new oath to the ancients, uh, I feel this really fits more in line with how I envision Carl. Yep. Yeah. Um, Kind of like the listener, I am also getting to know Carl. Um, I don't really have, I didn't have a plan when we started because um, obviously I'd never done this before. <laughs> and so the more we play, the more, I feel like I am Carl or I am you know becoming Carl. Right, right. Um and so the tenets of the Oath of the Ancient really speak to me personally and the way I want to develop Carl moving forward and so that is why I decided to change. Sweet. Okay. And I get some pretty sweet spells uh coming up the line, so hopefully those will be useful. Um, I never really used any of the spells from the Oath of Treachery anyways. Um, and a lot of that is just cause the way that I have developed Carl, I guess, um, just didn't really fit to me. And so I kind of shied away from using them. When I am finished, I stand up and I take the smallest piece of this broken statue of Meshackal and put it in my pouch to keep with me.
0: Awesome, awesome. Okay, now you have you have a piece of the the statue of Mashakel from the city of Corby. Awesome to keep with you for safekeeping. Yes. All right, let's um let's move over to Durf, who is looking around Lowtown for Felonius, uh, his little theft buddy. Um, and you you catch him in the alley, kind of kicking some rocks around, little Phil.
2: Um, I say, hey, what's up, man? Where'd you go? Oh, you
0: know, back where uh back where back where I came from, back where I, I know I know people around here. Um man, that was a hell of a time in that arena, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> yes, yes it was. I I just wanted to come thank you again for uh saving my life. Um wonder is there's anything I could do to help you out.
0: Hey man, no don't don't mention it. You 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 taught me some 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 great stuff in the uh in in Lowtown here before this arena. Um I really, I really owe a lot, a lot to you. You, you kind of re, uh, revitalized my, my faith in, in my abilities as a, as a thief. And, and I think my life will be forever changed by that. So, so I appreciate it. I, I'd like to teach you something of my own if, if you let me. Go on. Yeah. I'd I'd like to teach you a, a language that, that I learned growing up. Um, I learned from, from some of the older boys that, that have been around the world and, and done their own thievery uh it's it's a language that that we we speak with each other we leave each other symbols that allow us to to sense when when danger is ahead or or if an area is safe to uh to travel in can i teach you it
2: uh absolutely
0: okay sweet so you guys spend a few hours um he writes more and more symbols on on the wall and you bond and he points points at the symbols and tells you what each one of them means and now as a druid since you had the burglary background I am going to let you learn thief's Scant, which is usually a a rogue attribute um but I'll give it to you because of your cool background so um look that up you you can find out what thief scant does and what that all means for your character going forward but you got it nice Okay All right Tug anything you want to do in Corby uh, before we head out
1: um I'm just going to get like a airbrush t-shirt, core bio eight, maybe like a cool <laughs> airbrushing of the Coliseum. I don't, I don't know. My guy has no fancy things to do here. So okay, uh, a, a nice like souvenir it. t-shirt.
0: Okay. You, you go to the nearest, uh, Hannah tattoo building and you get a sweet, a sweet airbrush t-shirt of core bio eight with the Coliseum <laughs> and, and you're like beat boys dancing next to it. Your little character.
1: Damn right. Okay.
3: All right. What next? What next for the three of you? I think we need to head back to the tower and report on what has happened.
1: Yeah. I still have the amulet, by the way.
3: The McGuffin, right. The McGuffin. The McGuffin. Right.
1: Okay. All right. You
0: drop a you drop a pocket portal that you got from from the arena, and you guys are back in your room at the tower after a little portal ride.
1: I guess we gotta go report to uh The Archmage. Yep. Yeah, the grand wizard or whatever.
0: You're gonna go straight there?
3: Yeah, might as well. Okay.
1: Unless you guys wanna hit up the food court first.
2: I
3: think we should hit up the Archmage first. What then does Eugene
2: wanna we? do? What does Eugene wanna do? <laughs> what Eugene,
3: wanna do?
2: Eugene <laughs> what do you want to do?
0: Yeah, what's that? What what do I wanna yep. do? Fuck, more falafel, duh.
2: Um all right, let's go to the food court and get some falafel.
0: Alright. All right, you guys head up to uh, before the archmage. Before telling him about this, you know, super magical, super powerful amulet that you have, <laughs> you guys decide to go to the food court and you hit up the falafel, uh, Farah's. What did I say it was? Farah's falafel station. Um, get some, get some good old falafel. And while you're there, let's. Um, why don't we check out the brewery since you are there now? Durf and Carl. You guys have zero gold, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Tug, um, I sent you a brewery list. We got a ton of suggestions for people that wanted to submit um, beer ideas. Just, uh, I've got like thirty different um, different ideas here that I sent all of you. Um, is there anything of interest to Tug? And we'll just read them out and read who submitted them as um, as you as you read through what you might be interested in. And
1: we're speaking specifically about the brewery right now, correct?
0: Correct. Just the brewery for now since you guys went to the uh, food court.
1: I do. I have uh, liked, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, Uh, Parnagast Royal Stock IPA uh, submitted to us by Faith. You get scales down your body, giving you a natural plus two to your AC and immunity to poison damage. But you take 1d8 damage when you first drink it and your hit point maximum is reduced by 2d6. So there's... I, I really like the upside on that for my character uh, because I'm kind of glass cannony as it is. So right. so with that plus 2 AC, next time we level up, that'll give me uh, 20 AC, which will make me incredibly difficult to hit. So I think that's a pretty decent trade-off for the loss of uh, HP there. So that one was pretty exciting. Um, I thought that was very yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah, sure. That's a... Uh... That's 40 gold pieces if you want to snag one of those. Um, so I'm... You, you have like 9k
1: at this point, right? Uh, you stole yeah, all that like 9,200, I think is what I'm at. Right. Of course, uh, I'm going to pick up another Balrog Grog, uh, as we all know. Okay. That served me fairly well.
0: That was originally submitted by Dane. And just to, uh, to recap, that gives you 1d6 extra damage on each attack. And your intelligence goes down by 2.
1: Correct. And uh, another one that I really like uh, that will go actually fairly well in conjunction with um, Parnegast Royal Stock IPA submitted by Faith is the uh, Sylvan Imperial Stout. And it's gained 3d6 HP, but roll with disadvantage on my next attack or skill check.
0: Nice, nice.
1: So, uh, you know, that's another thing. You know, I have a pretty high uh, ability to hit, so I'm going to pick up one of those as well.
0: Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So, so again, one when, when you drink one of these beers, just know that it is an action in combat. So you would be going at least one action without that extra ability. But um, yeah. So we got a we got a ton of different. Um, I'll just read some of these off, just because I really like some of them. Um, we have uh ghostly goza yeah uh by captain amazing 7 um uh, which your body becomes blurry to all enemies for 1d4 rounds each attack against you is done with disadvantage and a negative 2 to hit any damage they take during this time is doubled i thought that sounded really badass um and then we have some witch's brew which actually does different by uh, submitted by toradin who, um, this, this beer grants resistance to different spells that target you and require a will save for the next hour. Um, we have here call of Odin submitted by faith as well, which is a heavy mead brewed atop the peaks of Ysgard. You have immunity to cold damage for 1d10 hours and you have advantage on constitution saving throws, but these rolls have a negative three to them. Um, one more, let's see one more that I really liked. Uh, Iron Monk Black Ale. I'm surprised you didn't go for this one, Doug Dylan. Six ninety six submitted this. It's an ale as black as tar that increases unarmed attacks by one hit die. However, you are extremely drunk and take a negative two to hit. Yeah, so it's I, I strictly
1: didn't read that one. I didn't see that one at all. I will also get yeah. one of those. You're gonna get one yeah, of those. I okay, it. yeah. It's it's
0: negative two to hit, so it's harder to hit, but you do add another hit die to each of your. Um, unarmed attacks essentially doubling it but you have to hit in order for that to that to kick in okay sweet um any interest in the other two for tug to maybe pay for some beers if you'd like
1: maybe not i mean they can take a look and i'll see what i can (laughs) do for them
2: what was the sylvan stout
1: tens the sylvan stout is the plus 3d6 hp but disadvantage on your next attacker skill check
2: interesting
0: it's like a it's like a, a health potion but also has a negative effect because it's, it's like
2: big. a really big health potion right
0: right 3d6 as opposed to 2d4 plus 2
3: all right carl's favorite by far is the jack jameson jaeger juice submitted by emory okay gives you temporary 10 hit points extra plus four strength and constitution for one hour but you can't see anything beyond 30 feet or run unless it's a charge attempt. And you scream everything. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: that one's hilarious. That one is gonna be great. Uh so that's 50 gold pieces. Tug, what do you think about giving? mine? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> okay. You toss Carl 50 gold pieces and he buys a Jack Jameson Jager juice. Jaeger juice by Emery.
1: Exploding off or Durf. Hurry
2: up. <laughs> okay. What about a coupon? Oh, another brew?
0: one I really liked was oh, I guess I submitted this one, but whatever. I liked it. That's why I submitted it. Uh it was called Backspace Barley Wine. And you regain health equal to the dice from the attack that hit you last. So if someone hits you with like two D ten Um and you're still alive, you can drink this on your action and regain you roll that dice. You roll two D ten to regain that health.
3: Oh, that's pretty dope. That is sweet.
2: Interesting.
3: Every, everything is interesting. Like, interesting. Right. It would be
1: interesting to the man with no money. And if you <laughs> yeah. got a decision. Yeah. We can yeah. move on. Yeah.
2: I'll have one of everything, please. <laughs> okay, we're done here. To the fishery. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about a rogue's porter? That's what I would like.
0: Okay, rogue's porter was submitted by Captain Amazing Seven. You get a plus two bonus on stealth and deception checks. Uh, But you get a minus four penalty on intimidation and persuasion checks. And this lasts for one hour. Sure. All right. That's 20 gold pieces. So, so, Tug, you're so kind. You give 50 gold pieces to Carl, 20 gold pieces to Durf, and they buy at least one beer that they that they
1: want. That's probably 200 gold, right? It's 70. (laughs) I mean, with the ones I bought as well.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Probably rounding up. There's a tip in there somewhere. Flat 200. Yeah, you give a tip. nice.
0: To Ricketts McGivens.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, Ricketts. Thanks, Ricketts. Uh, You're welcome. You guys want to go see the the Grand David Blaine character?
3: Yeah, the Grand Poobah. Okay. Let's do it. Grand Wizard. Mind Free. Okay.
1: Chris Angel.
0: So you point your golden um, wand at a nearby wall and a big archway to the archmage's quarters opens up and you you go through and you see him standing there in his normal position behind the Pool of Remembrance.
2: Hey, old man. Like, hey, man, are you just standing there all the time? Like all day, every day? Valid question.
0: I, I'm very com- contemplative.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even sound like a word.
0: I I keep the books of the tower in my desk. I I have this is my office.
1: All right, all right big speech. Um, <laughs> we got we got another MacGuffin. Uh, it's it's on a shoelace. It's a wooden block on a shoelace. Here Excellent. it is. I'm wearing it. I could have made Excellent. one of these and saved us a lot of trouble, but alas, here it is. E-
0: Excellent. Place it in the pool of remembrance.
1: Um, no. Well. But- I know I know Carl put the last one in there which I was completely against if you recall that episode. So I don't feel too awful wearing it. It doesn't burn my skin as much anymore. So maybe I hold on to it. Like what if it powers me up and makes me super strong? I
0: you it, that hasn't happened with the other. It
1: Yeah, we don't know cuz it's, it's, it's been in a works. jar of Vaseline that you've kept in your office alone. <laughs>
0: These items are passed down from the gods. If you were to lose it, it would be detrimental to our quest. In my
1: defense, you didn't have it before anyways.
0: But now we have our hands on it. You must keep it
3: safe.
1: Right, with me. <laughs> your your argument is but futile.
3: I'm going to defer to Carl. Safer. Carl, what's the play here? <laughs> Put it in the pool of remembrance.
1: Okay. I'm we gonna can need, find I'm going to need 50 gold. Or however
2: much that potion was,
1: with interest, with that ignorant ass decision.
2: Durf, where you at? I, I think you should probably put the uh, the thingamajigger in the, uh, the puddle. Fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> fine.
1: Whatever. This is, this is a fucking disaster. The MacGuffin goes into the tub of liquid in the middle of the room.
0: Great. Good. Good. There's Good. no restroom Good. in Test- here. He
1: probably pisses in the bowl is what I'm saying. This is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> Tess, Tess is still working on on finding the the, the next um, the next totem of the priest of Pelor. Uh You should you should go see her. She she either hangs out at the fishery or or the hall of knowledge.
1: I'm going to the fishery.
3: Fishery, it is all right.
0: this is joe your dungeon master i hope you're enjoying episode 15 here the end of the red sands arc we're back in the arcane tower and we've got some technical stuff going on obviously some shopping we're going to be doing some leveling up here pretty soon uh but there are important story bits towards the end so be sure to check those out i don't have a promo pause for you this week but i do want to make an announcement verbally if you haven't already heard we are doing we are um a part of a lot of different podcasts that are doing the upcoming Wizards of the Coast Podcasts of Annihilation. Uh, we recorded a one-shot with a couple people from Encounter Roleplay and Venture Maidens that we're really excited to share with you, and that is that is coming out uh, mid-September when the book Tomb of Annihilation comes out. So be sure to stay up to date on our Twitter and Facebook page and check out some of those other podcasts that are doing this awesome, exciting opportunity along with us. Some other neat stuff that's been going on. We are commissioning a map, a world map from Devin Rue. She does some awesome artwork. If you haven't already seen our Twitter page, uh, we've been retweeting her progress through making our map. So go check that out. We're really excited to share that with you in a couple weeks. And as always, we want to give a very special shout out to our top level patrons that make things like that possible. Um, these people donate $15 or more a month to our show, which is an incredible amount of money. And thank you guys so much for doing that. They get access to all the music you hear in the show and an upcoming NPC from the show will be named after them. So here they are, $15 or more, Jacob Torres, David Ashley Cole, Andre Kay. Jim Saunders, Michael Kennitzer, and Jason Ford. Thank you guys so much once again for your donation. If you want to help us just create the best show we possibly can, please go on to patreon.com slash YMIA Tavern. Even a dollar a month gets you some sweet perks and helps us grow. Uh, Speaking of uh, YMIA Tavern, that's our Twitter handle. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Reddit, at all those, all that, um, Using that handle for all those different social media places, uh, head to our Reddit page, reddit.com slash r ymiatavern to submit your own fishery and brewery ideas or just to talk to other fans of the show about the episodes as they come out. Finally, one last thing I want to talk about. Um, Next Monday, that's August the 28th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are doing a live Q&A episode on Twitch. You'll be able to see our beautiful faces. We'll be answering questions that we've already gotten from Reddit um, and email. And we'll also be taking some new questions if you want to hop in the chat and ask something of the crew. So be sure to tune in on Twitch uh, and subscribe to our channel you meet in a tavern, Y M I A tavern, and that's eight. That's uh, nine thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday, August twenty eighth. All right, that's enough for me, guys. Um, enjoy the rest of episode fifteen. Don't forget to listen to it all, and we will see you in about two weeks. See you guys. Do you guys head out um, and go through the portal. That wait, 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 to... wait.
1: Don't we have to have like a key to unlock it? Or is that go with what Carl already has? Because I'm the, the one that key? put it in this time. He didn't put it in this time.
0: No, it's fine. The pool remembered swallows it. It remembers Carl. But I put it in. <laughs> Doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's a security breach. This <laughs> is <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Fishery. I'm Tug's gone. Fishery.
0: <laughs> Alright, you guys head down to the fishery uh, where you see um, Nero at the desk and he says, Holy shit, you're back! What What can I do for
1: you? Well, I'm gonna go ahead and save you some breath. These guys don't have a fucking dime. I, on the other hand, I put some work in while we we're gone. I got a lot of money to spend. First order... Most excellent! What would you like? Uh, Here's... Uh, thing number one. I want you to put this in your appraisal gizmo of trusty development. Uh, and I hand him the orc tusk, the two and a half foot long orc tusk, and I say, "Fashion me something. I've got money to spend. If it doesn't turn out great, we'll throw it away, and I'll just buy something else. It'll be fine."
0: All right, he says, "Uh,
1: what, where the hell
0: did you get this from? It's still bloody."
1: literally out of an orc skull.
0: He, he, uh, he places it behind the desk uh, in the synthesizer and it goes through all the usual motions. You hear a clink in a, in a glass jar and he sticks it in this steamy vat of water where it comes up and you see, um, and you give him 500 gold pieces for this, by the way, BTW. Um, You see coming out of this steamy water, this two foot long rod of smooth bone and it's got a ruby inlaid in the center of it a big bright red shiny ruby Um, and and Nero tells you that if you move your finger along this ruby the ruby will glow red and the rod will stay completely in place no matter where it is whether it's in midair or not it will become immovable for any force under 2,000 pounds.
1: That's pretty dope. Good looking out. One (laughs) bone rod. (laughs) (laughs) What else can I do for you? All right. I've got so much stuff I want to buy. Hold on. Hold on. I'm typing up bone rod. All right. So I see you have some pretty excellent stuff here. Um, Something I definitely am going with though. Is uh, the ink of the beast.
0: Nice. Okay. yeah, this is cool. So this we explained this before, but I'll explain it again. This is 4000 gold pieces for a monk. Um, You get a bottle of ink that you can get tattooed on your body uh, as a tiger, a dragon or a monkey. And the tiger lets you spend one key point to reroll an initiative or spend one key point for plus five damage on any round. If you get the dragon tattooed on you, every fatal blow you deliver a creature, you get to roll a d20, and if it's 10+, plus, you regain one hit point. So if your punch kills a creature, uh, you roll a dice. If it's 10 or more, you regain a key point. Or the monkey, which lets you spend one key point to auto-succeed any acrobatic or athletic check. So you're going to take this ink, um, and Nero can tattoo it on your body right now. So which one
1: would you like, the tiger, the dragon, or the monkey? This is tough. This is tough. Um, I, at first, I think I wanted the tiger, but I actually think it's like the least conducive to growth over time. I think the the monkey auto-succeed for one key point sounds insane. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, am, I think I'm going to go with... The monk, now can I double up? Can I get like another vial of ink and get another one?
0: Uh, for another 4,000 gold
1: pieces, right? Right, right. But that is an option available to my character.
3: Um, probably buy that for one of
0: us. You know what? No, that would probably make you too OP. I'm gonna say he only has one in stock. Sorry,
1: okay. Uh, all right, I'm I'm still gonna go with the monkey. I think that is such a strong, especially for athletic, which is based on strength, which I don't have any of. I think that could be useful. So I'm going to go Ink of the Beast, monkey form.
0: Okay. And uh, Nero says, uh, okay, where do you
1: want it? Um, I would like the uh, monkey from Super Troopers on my ass. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Left cheek, right cheek. Left. Okay. He does it. He just tattoos a monkey on your left left ass cheek. Okay. Sweet. Um, Anything else there, Tug? You got some money left over still, I think. Anything you might want to share with the group?
1: apparently everybody there's hold on there was a badass like rod or something like i just want to be dual rotting here a movable rod that's essentially what i just got right yeah um yep. what was the one that had like kind of like a grappling hook thing going through it
0: Ah, uh, yes the cable call this one. the cable call is 500 gold pieces and this is a small white rod with a green button Pointing it at any flat surface, a cable shoots straight out, perpendicular to the surface's plane. The cable is 50 feet long and immediately latches onto the first object it contacts, pulling it back. If the object is pulled more than 30 feet, it takes 2d6 bludgeoning damage. If the object is fixed, the cable pulls taut until released by the button. can be used once per short rest.
1: That sounds amazing. Question, is that considered a ranged attack for Durf? Or, excuse me, for Tug
0: um it would yeah it's kind of like a get over here kind of thing
1: right because i feel like hitting somebody with that and following up with the strength of a thousand suns in my right fist could do a lot of damage yeah
0: yeah you can use that once per short rest so that's like a, a perfect
1: once. yep I'll i'll get the cable call
0: that's another 500 gold pieces nice anything that uh carl and durf that you guys were interested in
1: Yeah, I'm looking at healing help right now. (laughs) Casting a healing spell heals you an extra 1d6 HP, even if you're (laughs) not targeting yourself.
3: (sighs) (laughs) Uh. I mean, that's pretty...
2: (laughs) I was thinking about the hypnotic lure, which is only twice as expensive. A pearl-like lure that can be used while fishing...
1: Or worn as an earring. When activated, wild animals be drawn to it.
3: Yes, that'll be much more helpful than extra healing.
1: <laughs> Clearly. So
0: the hypnotic lure was submitted by Dr. Chubb. So we got a lot more submissions for items as well. This is 2,000 gold pieces. It's a pearl-like lure that can be used while fishing or worn as an earring. When activated, wild animals in a 100-foot radius will be drawn to it. As long as an animal is in visual range of it, they take a minus two to perception and constitution checks and are treated as friendly until attacked or damaged. And this lasts five minutes.
3: Dude, you should buy that. Or you. Um, So
1: that's what you want, Tens, is the. Yeah, Ted. The freaking eye of Tunis like that doesn't even like does that? No, that's not even what you read. Which also does...
2: Maybe I don't need... I guess I already do that.
0: Yeah, you don't really need that. The Ayatunis was submitted by Devil's Cut 85. This is an ancient amulet worn around the neck. When the wearer swipes their finger across the front of the amulet, its face shines brightly and a melody is played directly into the mind of the wearer, granting you one instance of inspiration um, once per short rest. So, uh, if... Inspiration means you get to re-roll um, any attack, check, or save.
1: Okay, so let, let's rewind a bit. Carl, do you want the healing help? I think we should I think you should get that for Durf. Durf, do you want are you gonna use the healing help thing? Sure. What is it? Like physically.
0: Just means you it's a little pendant that's got a cross on it um, that you wear, and anytime you cast a healing spell, it heals you for an extra 1d6.
2: Yeah, I just, I meant physically. So a pendant with a cross on it, got yeah, it. and even
3: if you're healing Carl or Tug, you still get to heal yourself for a 1d6. 1d6, every got time. Got
2: it, yep,
1: And Okay, so we'll get a healing help, so I'm down to 3,000 gold. I just want a
3: miscellaneous item.
1: Durf, that goes to you. You, you want me to roll? Want, I'm gonna okay. craft an item. Before we go that, I just had an epiphany, which might be the sickest shit of all time. Okay. <laughs> if I use my cable call... After I establish my bone rod, can somebody fucking die, like get cut in half by the immovable rod? Because uh, that sounds insanity. No, it, it would take 2d6 bludgeoning damage if you're
0: pulling it 30 feet towards the immovable rod. I know
1: that, but add the fact that they're it's an immovable rod. <laughs> it's a little bit stronger than my right fist.
0: Right, but your cable call is not the strongest thing on earth, so it would just break pulling someone past the immovable rod. See what I'm saying? Would it break? It wouldn't break, it something? would just release. Something my fist. It would release.
1: Okay. All right, so you want a random object. So let's uh let's uh let's go with um Carl, what do you want to put in the uh, the synthesizer?
3: Uh the piece of the broken statue of Mashako.
1: Ooh.
3: Oh damn, son. All right.
0: Um Niro, Maybe like
1: the master sword or some right? shit. <laughs> That's what <I'm> about. <laughs> Niro, um, oh,
0: by the way, Carl, while we're here, I guess, and explaining items, um, the 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 um, sword that Aaron gave you uh, right. to cut off Carsis's uh, head that you kept is actually a pretty badass sword. So let me explain um, what this does real quick. It's called the White Thorn. Even though it's got a black blade, and this was submitted, it's on our Reddit page um, under our. I'll, I'll read it, but um, it's on our Reddit page under the um, submitted items, fishery shop items. This is by submitted by someone named DNA Changer, and it's called the White Thorn, um, and it is a black metal blade with an engraving of a rose branch that winds around the sword and has a rosebud at top. The sword, come, the sword comes with a sheath that has seven bands of colored flowers sewn into it. The colors range from red through purple. Um, I'm not going to read all of this because it's really intense, but basically anytime you slay a foe who is unjust or evil, one of the seven bands of the flowers will glow white. Um, and once all those white roses turn, all, all those roses turn white, you basically level up the sword. So... Right now, currently, um, and you might want to write this down just so you know. Yeah. Your sword is a plus one great sword, so it's two handed, um, and you get plus one to ability rolls and damage. And um, once per long rest, you get you get advantage on persuasion rolls against the opposite sex. And then once per short rest, you mark someone that you want to call your rival of love. And you do an extra one d eight against them when you do damage. However, your sword has disadvantage on any other target, and all that is on the Reddit page if you want to look at. And we'll we'll get to um, we'll get to stage two when you get to a point where all the roses turn turn white, and we're on to stage two. But um, there's a whole description there on our Reddit page for us listeners if you want to listen if you want to see kind of what this sword does. It's really cool. Thank you so much for DNA DNA changer for submitting that. So that goes to you, Carl. Sick. All right, any more gold for you, Tug? Oh, we're doing the um Mishakal thing. Okay, so Nero places Mashako's stone into the um the synthesizer. Um and he pulls out this um this smooth stone infinity symbol. Um, And basically what this is going to do is once per long rest, Carl. So basically once per day, if you rub your finger against the side of this smooth stone, um, the infinity symbol will will glow blue and you gain an inspiration point for that day to use. Sweet. Nice. Okay. anything else here at the fishery before we move on?
1: Hey, uh, Durf. Yeah. Bracer of the Beast. Are you going to get any use out of that? Two charges per day, extra 1d6 HP to any beast you form into? Uh, Yeah, I would,
2: but it's kind of expensive. You don't have to give me that.
1: If I get that, I'll still have enough to get myself a Cloak of the Crow, and then we'll all be super poor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. All right. I mean,
2: yeah, I would definitely... So I'll
1: get, I'll get uh, Durf, the Bracer of the Beast, which is two charges per day. Uh, gives him an extra 1d6 to his hit points for any beast form he turns into.
0: Yep, and these are just like silver bracers with uh, a big bear paw on them marked in gold.
1: All right. And then uh, I will spend my last thou on a Cloak of the Crow which gives me plus one to my wisdom score and dark vision for 60 feet. Excellent. And wisdom yeah. wisdom is the second most important uh, ability for monks, so that'll help boost my stuff a little yep. bit.
0: So that's to your score, not your modifier. And This was submitted by DNA Changer again, um, and this is just like a pitch black sleek um, cloak that uh, that is attached to to your neck um, and comes down and has a little hood on top. Perfect. And N- nero fits it to your tiny body
1: excellent let me go ahead and update my gold to zero <laughs> so that will be so my wisdom is 14 it'll bump it up to 15 correct
0: correct so you still have the same modifier but
1: right but it just makes it easier later on correct. to uh yep. to get that bumped up here you got it the nice of the crow
0: all right, now that you guys are stacked with items, um, which is pretty awesome, let's uh, let's level you up. So it's been a while since we leveled up. We're going to bump up two levels here. So you guys are going to go from level four to level six. And so, hey. Yep, yeah, whatever you get for five and six, um, let me know who's ready. Anybody ready to go
3: first? Yeah, I'm good. Carl, why don't you tell us, tell us what you're going to do. I'm just going to stick leveling Paladin. Uh, Fifth level, I get an extra attack, and I get two second level spell slots. And then level six, I get Aura of Protection, which is super sweet. Uh, Whenever I or a friendly creature within 10 feet must make a saving throw, the creature gains bonus to the saving throw equal to my charisma modifier.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And then uh, why don't we roll? we got to roll your health too. So you're gonna roll um, your hit die and add your Constitution modifier to that. Uh, you're gonna do that twice and and just tell me what you your HP is.
3: So Ten. So that puts me up to fifty two.
2: Fifty two.
0: Sweet. Okay. Who else is ready?
2: Uh, I could be ready. All right, Durf. Um, so I level up, when I level up to five, I get an extra spell slot, uh, or, well, no, sorry, I get to add third level spells, uh, among which is Conjure Beasts, which is important because, um, at level six, my Unearthed Arcana, Circle of the Shepherds, um, allows me to, Use summon beasts, and any beasts I summon get um, plus 2 HP for each hit die I have. Nice, um, which will be 6 hit die. I so, sum? automatically, plus 12 HP to any beasts I summon. Awesome. And that spells awesome. Uh, I can summon 8 beasts of challenge rating 1 fourth or lower, uh, 4 of challenge rating 1 half or lower, 2 of 1 or lower, and w- or 1 of 2 or lower, which means... Um, For instance, I could at any time summon eight spiders to be on somebody. Oh, shit. Which I will probably be doing a lot of. Or eight camels. Eight camels? I could summon eight camels, (laughs) eight spiders, uh, eight ponies. If we need to persuade some little girls.
0: Great. I'm so excited as a DM that we let you choose (laughs) Druid to start. That'll be Um, just great. Okay. Uh, Roll your health.
2: Okay, so I roll. Uh, I think that's a one d eight plus Constitution. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, I forgot to twice. turn the light on when we started this, so I can't tell which die which. Fuck yeah, that's a hard two plus one, so three. Okay, brings me up to thirty, and then a seven on the second one. This is a little regression to the mean um that brings me up to eight so 38
0: 38, 38.
2: Okay. all right are we healed by the way you were a...
0: totally healed yeah you're fully okay. healed yep you got a good night rest at the desert rose uh tug
1: all right so the monk uh kind of gets uh some neat stuff here so at fifth level my proficiency bonus goes up by one my uh martial arts uh so my unarmed strike uh becomes a 1d6 I, I go up to, an, I get another key point, point. Uh-huh. Um, and my features at level 5 are Extra Attack, which is obviously awesome, and Stunning Strike. So, um, I, on a successful hit, I can spend a key point to attempt a Stunning Strike, the target must succeed a Constitution saving throw, or be stunned until uh, my next turn, the end of my next turn. So that's pretty sweet. Um yep. And then level six, I'll gain another key point to go up to six total. Uh, I will gain another five feet of unarmed movement. Um, I'll have key empowered strikes, which essentially means that I'm no longer dealing like unarmed damage. It's considered magical damage, right? You the sense are of like. yep. so for the for uh, resistances and things of that nature. And then um, I get to work a little bit further into my monastic tradition, which, as you all know, is the drunken arts. So I get to pick up a couple neato keen attacks. So I'll go ahead and read those now, if you don't mind. First one that I chose is Crazy Hermit Opens Cask. (laughs) You kick with both legs, sacrificing position for power. As an action, I can spend two key points to fall prone and force one creature in melee range to make a dexterity save. On a failed save, the creature takes 5d8 bludgeoning damage plus an extra 1d8 bludgeoning damage for each additional key point I spent to use that ability. It also knocks them prone. On a successful save, they take half damage and are not knocked prone.
3: Paired with
1: paired with that, I chose Grasshopper Rises Early. (laughs) and this is an ability i can use while i'm prone while prone you can use your reaction and spend one key point to immediately stand up each creature within five feet of you must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or be knocked prone if you would hit a creature that is already prone it takes damage equal to two of my martial arts die which now is 1d6 wow Sick. so that nice. is my guy
0: okay all right yeah you, again you guys are gonna have to keep track of this because no way i will remember that but that is sweet
1: so i'm gonna go ahead and roll my yep. uh roll your my dice here which for me is a d8 plus plus zero. First one is a two <laughs> Second one's a one, <laughs> so we are going up from twenty three hit points to okay. twenty six. Why don't you re-roll those? <laughs> re-roll the yeah, one that's at least four. It's better. So we'll go ahead and bump that up to twenty
0: nine. Twenty nine. Okay, so 29, 38, and fifty two. Yep. Sweet. That, that. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so you guys are leveled up. You got your. You got your new shit. You got new beers. New items. Oh, wait.
2: Hey, FYI, everybody. I don't know if it's the same for your your classes, but my proficiency bonus increased as well. So yep. I assume yours does too. Just if you didn't do that. Yep, mine did. Oh mm-hmm. right,
0: everyone's bumps up from a plus two to a plus three. So on attacks, you get an extra one three, or uh, an extra one, or on um, any any checks that you might be proficient in, or items you might be proficient in. All right, sweet. You guys are stronger now. Uh, stuff's going to get harder so as you leave the fishery um, as you turn away from Nero's desk Durf you feel this this overwhelming feeling of dizziness um, and this pain in your hand similar to what Tug felt in the prison of of Korbai, um, and what Carl has felt before as well. Uh, but this time, this is so strong, Durf, that you actually pass out, um, and you are unconscious, and you hit the ground with a thud while Tug and Carl just stare in in horror. Okay. We'll scoop up Durf and, I guess, head back to
3: the Archmage Chambers?
0: Okay, yeah, you, you pick up Durf, and you, um, you quickly... Uh, point your wand at, at another archway and it turns gold and you head up to the archmage um, and the archmage sees this happen, sees you guys coming through this portal um, and he, he looks aghast as you enter his quarters and he quickly clears the things off his desk and directs you to put Durf on top of it and he says um, "He says, no, no, no no, so fast How how can this already be happening so you know what's happening? Why does this keep happening to us? All right, I'm going to fade out from the scene here after you say that, Carl, um, to Durf, what you see. Okay. Durf, you're you're dreaming, and you find yourself in, in a plain, dark tunnel. And you look to your left and right with your dark vision, and there's nothing but blackness on either side at the edge of your eyesight.
2: What do you do? I guess I'll go left.
0: All right, you walk... You walk left and you walk and you walk and you walk, but the environment doesn't change. It's just blackness as far as you can see. And all of a sudden, a wisp of a deep purple and black mix of smoke and tar comes from up ahead and slowly swirls around you. The smoke tightens against your waist as a wispy hand flows in front of you, curling its index finger in a gesture to beckon you to follow. The smoke tightens further and you struggle to get free. You feel yourself being pulled as the tunnel beyond opens into spiraling pitch blackness. And I'm going to fade back to the Archmage here. Uh, Durf's body begins convulsing on the table, on the desk. The Archmage frantically searches for something inside his desk drawers, pulling out three vials of bright white substance glowing. He reaches Durf's head back, forcing the liquid down. And we're back to Durf's stream. You claw at the rocks of the tunnel walls, Durf, slipping, grabbing frantically to get a hold of anything that will keep you from falling into this blackness when you feel the grip of a warm hand wrap around your wrist. You feel yourself being pulled in both directions now and jerk your head backwards to come face to face with a man that looks incredibly familiar. But you just can't place it. The smoke demon screams in agony as you are released and go tumbling face first into the ground and you wake up. Durf lets out a gasp as he shudders against the desk. The archmage places one hand on his back and leans him, leans him up in a, into a sitting position. Easy, boy. Easy. Easy. There you go.
2: Durf, yeah, you alright? Um, what the fuck was all that?
0: He, he lowers his head and, and he lets out this long, relieved and exasperated breath. And he says, yes, it's 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 time A- after after what you've been through now. It's time you are you are ready. You must be ready. And he steps around the desk and he walks over to the pool of remembrance and beckons you to follow him. And you look into the pool as the archmage closes his eyes, extending his right hand over the waters. A white glow shines from his palm and grows brighter, and the water stirs, and pretty soon you are engulfed in white light for a moment and everything goes silent. You hear the chirping of birds and the smell of crisp pine as your eyes adjust to daylight, and you find yourself in a wide clearing inside a thick Wood. You soak in the sights and sounds of this familiar place for a minute, when suddenly you hear a pattering of feet and the laughter of children echoing through the trees, getting closer. First, through the brush, tumbling forward into a somersault before quickly catching his feet again, is a small boy with curly red hair. His clothes are tattered and caked with mud, and he stands only about two or three feet tall on stubby legs. He turns around to face the brush, pokes his chest out, and raises his fists as another boy bursts from the bushes, tackling him back to the ground. Slightly taller with waves of blonde atop his head, the second boy quickly subdues his opponent in a chokehold. Say uncle! Say uncle! Uncle, says the curly-haired boy in a muffled voice. They release from each other and brush themselves off, regaining their feet once again. But not before the taller boy stops to pick up a small yellow yellow caterpillar on the ground, studying it intensely and admiring the way it crawls up and around its fingers. From the brush, a little less aggressively, emerges another young boy with short brown hair. He slashes the branches away with a large stick, gripping it between his hands. He swings down at the last of the branches with a mighty roar as it bends around his makeshift wooden sword and springs back, smashing him square in the face. And at this point, the other two boys are back on the ground again, this time doubling over with laughter. Hey, Henry, look! It's Carl the Brave! snorts the curly-haired boy. Dumbest knight this side of the Poby River! Shut up, Bosco, replies Carl. He rushes forward and the three of them tussle in the dirt, rolling and punching and laughing together. All right, boys, break time is over, a voice says. The six of you simultaneously look up and spot a fourth boy, much older. He stands six feet tall and wears a long light brown robe, specked with twigs and loose dead leaves. His black hair is pulled back in a ponytail that reaches his shoulders, and a splotchy immature beard partially covers his chin. His face is young, but you can't help but recognize the similarities between this boy and the archmage that stands beside you. Ah, one more game, Ezra, says the little blonde haired boy named Henry. Ezra chuckles and nods. One more but a, but a quick one. The three boys look at each other and look back at Ezra. They give him a hard shove and say, Ditch the witch! As they dart away into the forest. Ezra falls backwards and rolls his eyes, counting loudly to ten. And the archmage in, the old, in his old form speaks, without looking away from Ezra. As you know, in Woodhaven... Young boys apprentice under many different masters, in order to grow up into well-rounded men. Groups of boys were assigned mentors, older boys who looked after them during their apprenticeship. I was thirty years older than your fathers then, but almost just as naive. Here I come! Ezra yells out. You follow the young archmage deeper into the misty wood. The canopy grows thicker and your steps become more careful as you avoid low-hanging branches and thick roots that protrude from the ground. After a long while, Ezra stops at the base of a wide hill that creeps up sharply, covered in a smattering of black dirt, thick green moss, and small twisted trees. Above the incline, in one sliver of sunlight that breaks through the canopy above you, you see your three young fathers, standing mesmerized and still, their eyes fix on a tall white altarpiece peeking up through the ground, vines and moss creeping up its sides. Bosco reach out, reaches out to touch it, and in an instant the scene goes dark. The altar pulsates with a purple glow for a moment, and then you hear a crack. Ezra barely has time to scream out before the three boys are consumed by light and energy as they are thrown backwards from the altar, rolling down the hill to fall motionless at Ezra's feet. The ground begins to shake violently, and you hear a conglomeration of groaning rock and cracking timber as the hill begins to shift and rise. Without a second of thought, Ezra scoops up the three boys and runs. You follow best you can through rocks and roots and sharp underbrush. Ezra runs past the clearing, over creeks and mud, through tears and sweat and blood he runs until at last he emerges from the final row of trees, falling in a heap of exhaustion, three young boys at his feet. He weeps and curses into his fists, but his cries are cut short by three sharp gasps of breath and a tight grip on his ankles. Little Carl is the first to speak. What? What happened? The scene fades to black as the archmage speaks. It would be a long while before I told your fathers the truth of that day. Mostly because I could not bear it myself. I had failed in my duties to watch over them and keep them safe. A few days later, I returned to that place in the forest. I mustered up all the strength and courage I had and cast an illusionary spell on the grounds surrounding the temple. No one could know it was there. No one could find out how I failed or be subject to the same strange power I witnessed. And so it remained hidden for many years to come. Eventually, your fathers grew up and that memory faded from their minds. We went our separate ways then. I was chosen to study here at the Arcane Tower. Your fathers were loyal to Woodhaven. They stayed and made a life for themselves, always remaining friends. They grew older and met beautiful young women by the time I returned to visit my old friends. I stayed a long while, celebrating the birth of each of you, before everything changed and the world around you goes white once again. And as your surroundings come into view, you find yourself at night in a small wooden hut built inside of a great tree. In the corner of this candlelit room stands an elven woman holding a small child swaddled tightly to her chest. You follow her eyes to the opposite end of the room where a robed Ezra stands over a sickly blonde-haired man. His eyes are a faded gray and sweat pours from his forehead as Ezra examines him. He lifts the man's hand up to the candlelight candlelight, and you see a single black line burned into the center of his palm. At the touch of this mark, the man's eyes turn to a solid black. He begins convulsing, screaming at Ezra in a fit of rage as spit and blood and black smoke and tar fly from his foaming mouth. The woman turns away, gripping her child even tighter as the baby screams. Ezra does all that he can do to contain the man before finally the rage subsides and what little color he had left drains from his skin, leaving him motionless, gray, and gone from this world. The scene fades again, and now you find yourself in another small house, a little more run down than the last. A stench hangs in the air as you walk down a dusty hallway. A short halfling female charges past and through you, sobbing, clutching a small boy no bigger than a puppy across her chest. You turn to watch her pass, and see the small boy peeking over his mother's shoulders, eyes welling up with tears. The hallway ends in a small room lit by a fireplace. Burnt marks line the walls as books, shattered glass, and splintered wood is scattered about. There was some sort of fight here. Ezra is kneeling beside a small wooden bed, clutching the hand of a short figure that lays under a white sheet. As their hands part and Ezra's head falls, you see a limp gray palm with another thick black mark. The Archmage speaks again. When your father passed Tug, I knew the truth that I didn't want to believe. The evil from that day in the forest. It was a curse. It lived inside of them all those years. The years following, I dedicated myself to finding the answers. I pored over tome after tome on the histories of Woodhaven, of the misty wood, of this mysterious temple in the forest. It became my mission. I obsessed over it. I learned of the Eternal Flats, of the Dread King resting deep in the Black Plains, of the Seven Priests of Pelor and the immense holy power that they once held. I had to find a cure. This was all my fault. I had to save the last one of them. The world fades once more to the outside of a large house near the center of town. Rain falls heavy on the cobbled streets, and the cloudy sky casts a dull gray color on everything around you. A human woman stands facing the front door, holding the hand of a young boy no older than five or six who leans against her legs. The door opens and Ezra emerges, shaking his hand with the look of defeat in his eyes. He rushes forward to embrace the woman as she collapses in his arms. The young boy looks over his shoulder and for a moment seems to see straight through you as the scene fades from view. I had failed them. I put them in danger after all these years. I couldn't get them out of it. Before he died, Carl, your father made me promise one thing. That I would look over you. All three of you. Their sons. Eventually your mother adopted Jill and I swore to myself I would protect her as well. Things have gone just so horribly wrong. I've been watching you since you were children, from a distance. Throughout the years, I continued to search for answers. I increased my efforts here at the Arcane Tower, creating a faction of skilled wizards I sent out into the world in search of the totems, under the guise of of magical item research. My efforts were fruitless, but still I persisted. As you grew older, my biggest fear became realized— Up until recently, the symptoms have been barely noticeable. A sudden burst of anger or lapse in judgment, an itch, a tone in voice, things a normal person would brush off as teenaged angst. And now, I know it even more than I did. Your hands. You have inherited your father's curse. Upon learning this, my efforts doubled. I became desperate. I couldn't let you succumb to the same fate your fathers did, so I resorted to the last place I ever wanted to go, the source of all of this. I needed to know what was in that temple, it was my last resort. I sent down two of my best philosophers to lift the illusion in the misty wood and return with whatever they could find. I instructed them for years and years in preparation, teaching the defense against evil magics until I knew they were ready. The events that followed, you know all too well. And so we are brought to this day. The marks on your hands, they've changed. They react to the totems, burning and resisting their power. You've felt it. You've seen it yourself. The power of Pelor that emanates from them is fighting the evil that sleeps somewhere inside of you. You are dying, Tug, Durf, Carl, and at a faster rate than even your father's. I'm not sure how much time you have left. Do you understand now the kind of situation we are in? These items hold the key to lifting this curse and ridding the world of the Dread King. And you are the only ones that can control them.
1: Yeah, um, so tell me about my dad a little bit. <laughs> that seems... I totally <laughs> miss. Two things. One, we need to have a chat so I can learn a little bit more about my dad. Number one. Number two, um, why didn't you just lead with that story? <laughs> that, would been given, that would have given that would have given old Tug Mug Bar a lot of context. I would have been I would have dumped jumped into the Vaseline tub, both hands with the Mcguffin. Um, that's neither here nor there. I'm kind of I'm kind of rattled mentally, physically. I'm tired.
0: I I I was afraid. I I I I knew you had to be ready. I knew you had to experience this power for yourselves, and you and you have. I, it, when Durf fell just now, I, it sparked something in me that told me you, you have to know now before it's too late.
1: Strong play, strong play. Um, okay. So what's the move? We've got a story. Durf, hold on. Durf, how you feeling? Good? Knees a little weak? You got to throw up or something?
2: I <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. I'm not thrilled. Um, I'd rather be not dying. Retweet. than <laughs> Dying does Tess know all that shit you just told us she
0: does not no you cannot tell her
2: oh can't i okay i won't that sounds like a job
1: for it eugene (laughs) we're gonna need we're gonna need that entire story in eugene voice
0: (laughs) no i don't think so Um, Okay, so I've got a little epilogue here to finish up this episode. More of me talking, but it is important to the story. So your characters don't know this is happening, um, but this is strictly for the listeners, something going on in the background. Meanwhile, one turns to few as the thick fog rolls across the cobbled streets. Few turns to dozens, dozens into hundreds, thousands slowly they rise from black slime consumed by the dread that courses through their veins nothing but shells of their former selves men women children they turn their gaze towards the forest and step by slow step make their way through the darkness with a single thought in their mind. Feed the master. Somewhere in the dark, a gray mountain rises and falls with each breath a little easier than the last. Somewhere in the dark, a little girl opens her eyes. I want to take this moment to thank also our five dollar or more patrons um thank you guys so much for your support for the show that's nick bukulik i think i said that right i hope i said that right if not you can yell at me vitaly vasilyuk austin albaugh david Ginsberg of the tales from the fandom podcast connor breeden joe quickle of the dad dnd podcast justin Jimenez, kevin mccluskey and adam hoffling you guys rock Once again, if you want to uh, help us grow and help support our show, even a dollar a month helps, go to patreon.com slash YMIA Tavern. Thank you.